This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show, the Tuesday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. And as you know, or at least I hope you know, that this is a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering Bible questions, uh, life questions, what's going on in your life, and that what the Word of God says to do. Uh, I'll do the best I can. If you just call us, you can dial 210-340-9585. That's 340 340- 9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com or you can uh, send them in using our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. If you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Uh, hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. Everything else will be hands-free, and uh, you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Well, let's get to some questions. The first thing I want to deal with this uh, this afternoon is an email in response to one that I got yesterday in the program. Um, I, I don't know who this person is. It's anonymous, but uh, he or she uh, has um, become one of my spiritual heroes. Um, it says, Pastor Ron, although I'm not going to reveal myself, let me start with giving you a little background if you didn't listen to yesterday's program. Um, I had a question from this person um, uh, about uh, George Floyd. He'd heard me say that George Floyd was a professing Christian. And I made the statement that if, um, assuming that's the case, that people were telling me the truth, that um, uh, after his horrible murder, he went into the presence of the Lord. And and uh, this caller, this listener, uh, took exception with that. And he said, well, I've been reading some stuff um, Online or, or looking at some things that would indicate he didn't live the lifestyle of a Christian and he didn't think that he should have said this. Now, here's his uh, response one day later. Uh, Pastor Ron, although I'm not going to reveal myself, I am a person of right and truth, and I will own the mistakes I make. Yesterday, you read my email on the air where I asked, how did you know that Mr. Floyd was saved or not? As you so eloquently put it, find out the facts, and I did. I found that I was mistaken in my assumption of guilt, if you will, and have since found that Mr. Floyd is professed by many, and those are capitalized words, uh, to have been a Christian. Originally, I read that Mr. Floyd had lived a life 
of crime and his Christian life was very vague. As you have stated in the past, just because you go to church does not make you a Christian, and I went on that piece of information. However, I did a follow-up after your reply to my question and found that he did indeed get his life together and was walking a Christian's walk. I feel ashamed for not finding out more before I asked. I apologize to you and to everyone I may have offended by asking that question. Thank you for correcting me in the Lord. I ask for all of yours and the Lord's forgiveness. Sincerely, Anonymous. Anonymous, uh, I want to thank you so much. This is how Christians behave. We make mistakes. We jump to conclusions. Uh, we unjustly judge. Now, any judgment that we make, you know, it's perfectly acceptable for us to look at somebody's current behavior and say, this person isn't acting like a believer and correct them. But God made it clear that the purview of judging the heart belonged to him and him alone. And so it's really, really important that we never cross that line. We can look at behavior, but when we cross the line in judging people's hearts, then we're, um, we're, we're actually judging ourselves in the process. And when we do that, and see, social media wouldn't be a problem if everybody responded like this uh, person did. Um, to dig in, get the facts, and then be willing to say, I was wrong. I was wrong. Now, I'll tell you something else, Anonymous. Uh, yesterday, another friend, a loyal listener of the program from Austin, um, sent me an email and said, um, you know, your your caller may have been referring to a program that Candace Owens did, uh, and she linked me to it. And I listened to that today. I wanted to find out as well. You know, I uh, I want to be right as much as I can. Um, uh, I certainly want my heart to be right in the things I say, so I listened to it. Now, um, Candace Owens, for those of you who don't know her, is a conservative. She is a black woman. She is young, she is absolutely brilliant, and she took offense to uh, Mr. Floyd being lionized by the culture, becoming a black, sort of an anti-hero, but, but, but somebody who's being um, lifted before us as a virtue of godliness and goodness. Uh, and she absolutely did a number on him. Um, uh, I have listened to Candace Owens a few times. Um, I've always found her uh, to be honest and direct. Um, but that was a needless piece. Uh, she would call it journalism. I would call it of, of just stepping in the muck of this world. Um, Candace Owens, I, I don't know anything about her faith. Um, not anything at all. But see, she certainly didn't sound like a believer. Um, she jumped to a bunch of conclusions, uh, and, and I thought it was just unnecessary. All of that to say this. We who are Christians need to behave differently. We can't be so easily influenced by a YouTube video or a Facebook post. We've got to be men and women of the truth. This listener, Anonymous, he said he is a person of right and truth. It doesn't say male or female, but he's a person of right and truth. You see, that's what we're supposed to be. And this person, whoever he or she is, however old they are in the Lord, they demonstrated 
what maturity in Christ is all about. Do all things as unto the Lord. If we make a mistake, then we own it. We say, I'm sorry. We ask for forgiveness without making any defense. So, um, Anonymous, I'm proud to have you listening to the program. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And um, one day, maybe you can come up and say, hey, I'm Anonymous, uh, if you're ever in the San Antonio area. And, um, and and we can have a laugh about this, but God bless you. Uh, this is how Christians ought to behave when we do or say the wrong thing. Final thought on this, and then I'll move on. Um, I am on a Christian crusade um, opposing social media. Now, I'm a Luddite, okay? I don't... I don't deal with it. I've got too much other stuff. But we've got to take seriously who we are online. We can't respond the way other people respond. We're believers. And like this listener, we need to be men and women of right and truth. And um, too often behind a keyboard Uh, we can justify saying or believing anything when in fact it never ought to be. Jesus is with you on your keypad, keyboard, whatever the case is. And you need to be aware of that. You need to be a little bit fearful of that. So George Floyd, I hope he's in heaven. I'm grateful that this listener said that he appears to have gotten his life together. I'm grateful for all those things. I'm even more grateful for God who gives us so many second chances. I said that would be my last thing, but one thing more. When people who are believers go off the rails, God is pretty faithful to go get them. Here's what I know for sure. God knew that George Floyd would die that day and meet him. God knew that for sure. And even a backsliding Christian, somebody who's walked from the Lord and, and, and guilty of many, many horrible things, if they're really a believer, God is able to go get him and bring him back to him, even if it's at the last moment. I remember the comedian Sam Kennison, who was a preacher at one time, and um, Sam Kennison died suddenly, a relatively young man. Um, truth is, he just got so far out there. But I think God took him home, keep him from getting too far away. Our God is faithful. He who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Great, great, great uh, email. Thank you for it. You made my day. Greg says, Pastor Ron, is interracial dating okay for Christians? Greg, I hope so. I'm married to a beautiful black woman. Um, We've been together for 50 years, and of course, interracial dating is okay. Um, I've got another race question here from Anthony in a moment, but um, something we need to understand is that God's perspective on race is that there is no perspective. There's saved and there's unsaved. That's the only distinction that matters at all to God. The rest of us are men and women created in the image of God. 
We're men and women for whom Jesus died. And we have got to accept that. If we did, and if we could convince the world to get saved, then we wouldn't have race problems. So yes, interracial dating is fine. Uh, Paul and I were talking just this week, you know, uh, uh, to, to date when Paul and I started dating 50 years ago. Uh, was a lot different than it is now. Now it's like no big deal. But it was a very big deal 50 years ago. And yet the Lord put us together. And I love that. I love that. Thank you for the question. Here is... Here's a question from Anthony. He says, what should the Christian response be to the race protests going on and what will happen if policemen are eliminated from society? Uh, Anthony, this gives me an opportunity to remind the listening audience again that on Saturday here at Calvary Chapel, uh, I'm going to be doing a leadership class, our pastor's discipleship class here. And we're going to invite anybody who wants to come, please come from 1030 to 1230. We're going to talk about uh, these issues and we're going to focus on the Christian response to it. So um, uh, 10.30 to 12.30 here at the church, it's very casual. Um, We just want to have some open and honest dialogue. Uh, I'm going to be leading it, so what we're going to do is we're going to focus on on a biblical response to the things that are going on. So, Anthony, I I think our response uh, should be um, to give freedom to those who are peacefully demonstrating um, I wouldn't do it myself. Uh, I'm a veteran of the Vietnam War protests so many years ago in, in uh, my early college years, and uh, there was nothing good that ever happened there. Um, you know, there was no such thing as social media there. Uh, and, and you know what? I don't think there's a lot good going on here. I think people are talking about it, but I think this is all driven because it's an election year. Um, and so I think what we should do is, if we're going to protest, Anthony, I think what we ought to do is be telling people about Jesus in the crowd. It's that simple. That's why we go. He is our message, and we are his ambassadors. So um, uh, other than that, I, 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 I honestly can't see a legitimate reason nor a legitimate benefit to being out in the streets and protesting, however it is your right, is given in this country. Um, But as a Christian, remember, we cannot be race conscious. We're there to talk to unsaved people about Jesus. Um, George Floyd's murder was a tragedy, Um, made even more horrible by the fact that it's been seen billions of times all over the world. Um, but make no mistake, there are people on the left in this election year who are organizing to take advantage of anything they can 
to win a presidential election, but also to move us so much farther to the left. And of course, that's really problematic from a Christian perspective. Let me say this. You asked what would happen if policemen are eliminated from society. You know, Anthony, when they first started talking about that, I thought, well, what a dumb thing. That would never happen. But you see, the, the people aren't thinking. And, and, and for them to say, well, we don't need policemen. We can defund policemen. We live at a time now where policemen are no longer honored. I, I'm, I'm terrified about what's going to happen as our world turns more and more lawless. Now, we know from Second Timothy chapter 3 that this is what's going to happen, but now we're seeing it. I honestly didn't know that I would see anything like this in my lifetime. I'm old. And I thought this would be something that Pastor Ken would have to deal with and and the men who are younger than me in their churches. But we're watching it happen. And the, the, the answer is if policemen were eliminated from society, it would be chaos. You see, we understand the biblical answer to this is that there's nothing good in our flesh. And people on the left in this country politically, people who don't know God, keep trying to prove that, no, no, there's something good in this. Let's just try. Well, the more freedom you give people to sin, the the more heinous that sin is going to be. We ought, Anthony, as Christians, to be praying for our police officers every single day. You know, the protesters are offended when we talk about rioting and looting. They say, no, that's just a very small minority. Well, First, I don't believe it's a small minority. I've seen the videos. But the other thing that they don't consider is that for a very small number of racist, abusive, or even murderous police officers, overwhelmingly, overwhelmingly, most of the police officers are there to do a job to protect and serve. And they're unwilling to acknowledge that. I can promise you this, Anthony. If, in fact, police presences are diminished, life, especially in the big cities, is going to be unbearable. Unbearable. That's another reason we need to play for, pray for police officers. With all my heart, I, I, I just think that the numbers of men and women who are going to want to go in that field are going to go so low. I mean, who would want to do this knowing that they're going to become objects of scorn and wrath from those on the left politically? So, Anthony, um, again, Saturday, if you're in town, 1030, 1230 here at Calvary Chapel, San Antonio, I'm going to be talking about this stuff with my leadership team. Thank you for the question. Let's take a phone call. Let's go to Jimmy on line one. Jimmy, thanks for holding. I appreciate your patience. Well, you already answered my question. You, you, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, ten, well, I won't be able to attend because I'll be working that morning. 10.30 to 12.30. Here's your class. That's all I'm going to ask you. That's all right. you wanted? Yep. <laughs> no, I agree with everything you're saying, and I do... I do agree with you, everything you're saying, and, and, yeah, but I still have joy in my life and my heart. I read the scriptures and study it, but 
I'm not worried about it. Yep. My daughter's a control. Yeah. I, I, Jimmy, I, uh, when I grow up, I want to be like you. I, I, I still have a lot of joy, of course. The, the joy of the Lord is my strength, and in His presence, uh, Nehemiah adds this fullness of joy. And when um, I'm with the Lord, uh, I have great hope, I have peace. Um, but honestly, as a pastor, I'm worried about the people that I'm going to outlive. Again, unless Jesus returns quickly, I'm worried for the people that I'm going to outlive. When I see the lack of biblical knowledge uh, in churches, uh, the, the truth is Christians simply aren't ready to live in this time of spiritual war. We're not ready to have our faith tested to this degree. And I'm seeing churches cave in to the whims of this world simply because we're so addicted to social media that we're we're being influenced to a point where we don't want to risk anybody else thinking ill of us. So we're trying so hard to win people, Um, but not to Christ. We're trying to be okay with them. And it's really, really important. So... I'm I'm in prayer constantly over this, Jimmy. It's a bad, bad deal. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it very, very much. Let's go to line two. We got Ray from San Antonio. Ray, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. We're almost to your break, so I'll make this short. Maybe not so sweet. <laughs> uh, uh, back when you brought up uh, the '60s and demonstrations, I'm also familiar. And uh, it was completely different back then. And not to be politically incorrect, which is very important nowadays, uh, it's hard to say anything without stepping on somebody's toes and getting <laughs> abusive repercussions. However, uh-huh. I'm really, I'm really weary of all this demonstrating the way it's going on. Ten, eleven, twelve, how many days? Who, whatever especially on top of the COVID thing, you know, that stressed everybody out anyway. But mm-hmm. uh, there's a couple of things that, you know, uh, I know you were you were fond of the ponies and a couple of things that I remember people saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. And what's the point in beating a dead horse? <laughs> uh, and, and on top of that, uh, not to be insensitive or anything else, but to just try and get somebody to refocus uh, all these shirts and signs saying, I can't breathe. And I thought, well, if I was still young and, and uh, you know, rebellious, I, I might have a shirt printed up say, can't breathe? Quit holding your breath. <laughs> and that's about it. Okay, Ray, thank you very, very much. You know, people... Um People need a cause. And I can't breathe or Mr. Floyd calling out for his mommy. Those are cause inspirers. And here's our mission as Christians. This is not just for Ray. This is for everybody. Our cause has to be advancing the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have no other cause. 
Let me get to the, the, the short answer. The world is not going to change for the good. The people who are protesting, most of their motives are not pure. When I was protesting the Vietnam War, I was unwilling, not saved, of course, I was unwilling to be honest, but the only thing that mattered to me was that I didn't get sent to Vietnam. That was my motive. That was my heart. So everybody's got an agenda. And what we need is a cause to share, and you and I as Christians, we've got that cause. One other word of caution here, I think, for all of us. Christians, many of us are on different spectrums of the political platforms than those who are protesting. But we need to remember not to be embittered against them. We need to remember to love them and to pray for them. We need to remember they're not the enemy of our ministry. They're the object of our ministry. And they are the people who need Jesus the most. So it's really important that our cause is Christ alone. And I think too often we forget that, and as a result of forgetting it, we're indistinguishable from the people in the world. That's how important it is to know who you are, to know for whom you stand, and never get off focus. Never let somebody drag you away from the main thing. I talked about that in my study last Sunday. Keep the main thing the main thing, and his name is Jesus Christ. That's how important it is to remember who we are in Christ. For those of you who protest and your heart's in the right place, God bless you. Just make sure, as Christians, I'm only talking to Christians, you're telling people about Jesus. We've got 30 minutes left in our program today, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. It's the word to stand up for life. We'll be back in two minutes. If you have questions about the Bible, you can send them to Pastor Ron and he'll answer them on the air or reply directly to you. Email your questions to PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. That's PastorRonKSLR at gmail.com. Welcome back to the Word to Stand On for Life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our program. 30 minutes left. We'd love your calls. 340-9585. Here is another anonymous question. I got a lot of these um, in the last couple of days. This was Pastor Ron. In your message yesterday, he's talking about my message on Sunday. I got this yesterday. In your message yesterday, you spoke about speech and mentioned gossip. What is gossip exactly, and is it ever okay to talk about someone else? Um, yeah, I did. You know, um, um, Paul is declaring to Timothy. Now, remember, Timothy's a young pastor, and he starts out by telling Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And then he says, the way you're going to win them over, Timothy, is to set an example. Be an example to the believers. Your role as a pastor means you're on display. People are watching you. 
So be an example in speech and in life and in love, um, uh, in purity. And um, um, our speech patterns are just not what they're supposed to be. So I'll talk about gossip in a moment, but, but it's so important that we communicate in a way that oozes the love of Christ. His love, Romans 5, 5 says, poured out into our hearts. And so often, you know, it just doesn't seem like our speech is motivated by love. And it needs to be, even when somebody is offensive to us. Jesus said, love your enemy. It's easy to love people who are lovable. But we're called to live, or to love rather, the unlovable. So uh, we need to watch our speech. Christians should never, ever curse. We shouldn't participate in coarse jesting. Uh, King James, we shouldn't tell dirty stories, nor should we listen to them. Um, So our speech needs to be loving and kind and gentle, um, seasoned with salt but full of grace. We live in a time when, even from pulpits, sadly, we got pastors cussing because it's cool, or, well, it's no big deal, we're a different generation, we communicate differently. Remember, this is the timeless Word of God. And our speech ought to be Christian speech. Now, gossip is also important, Anonymous, and that's what you asked about. Let me give you an easy working definition of gossip. Gossip is anything bad you say about somebody with the intention of hurting them. Anything bad you say about somebody, even if it's true, anything bad you say about somebody with the intention of hurting them. How would you ever explain to Jesus your slander, even if it's true, the facts, your motive is to hurt them. How would you explain that to Jesus when he looked at you and said, yeah, but I love them. Or if he said, I wanted to use you to win their heart, but I couldn't use you because... Your motives are wrong. So it's always okay to talk about someone when you're speaking glowingly. But when you don't have anything nice to say, my grandma said it to me, your grandma said it to you, if you haven't got something nice to say, don't say anything at all. Why is it that we can't control our mouths? James says that the tongue is so powerful, it's a little tiny thing, but it's so powerful. So anonymous, we need to be aware of our speech. Let me make one other application that I mentioned in the first half of this program. When we're speaking via social media, we need to be aware that we're accountable for every idle word. We are accountable for every idle word. Thanks for listening to the message. I appreciate it. Let's go to line one and talk with Scott from San Antonio. Scott, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Good afternoon, Brother Ron. Oh, thanks, Scott. Good to hear from you. I uh, I had a question, and I also wanted to kind of make a comment. Um, my question was, I think you'd mentioned that you have a, uh, um, this Saturday from like 1030 to 1130 or something. Um, 1030, 1030 for, to 1230. Yes. 1030 to 1230. And it's open for, for others outside your church to come? Sure. 
Okay. Um, the other thing I was wondering is, would it be appropriate to bring a 16-year-old to this, or is it just for the adults? I think it'd be entirely appropriate. Okay. Okay. Great. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to plan on that. Um, my okay. comment I wanted to make was, uh, you know, when all this rioting and everything happened, my first response was I was angry, and then the Lord really convicted me. Um, I ha- I'm in studying First Peter right now, and uh, living hope. And you know, our our hope is in Christ, and Christ is alive. And these people that are out there involved in that, our hearts should be breaking for them because where is their hope? Um, their hope is, is dead or in dead things. I mean, it's, um, and it convicted me, am I sharing my living hope with others? And I just kind of want to share that and get your comment on that. And God bless you, brother. Uh, thank you, Scott. Thank you for your program. Be, 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 thank you. Be great to meet you if you come. Get in my face. I can't see very far, so get in my face. Um, um, and, and again, just to repeat, if, if you in the audience want to come, um, you know, we don't have this huge facility, but um, we're going to be fine. There's typically about 60 or 70 people in the leadership class. So um, you're, you're more than welcome to come. Um, you know, you, you said Jesus is alive and he's our hope. Let me also add that he's sovereign. That he's sovereign. And if you combine that knowledge with Acts chapter 17, I think it's verse 26, where the Lord says, and I'm going to paraphrase, he said, look, I put you where you are at the time you're living in the circumstances you find yourselves because that's where it's easier to find God. And it's almost like we've got a responsibility, Scott, to, 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 to fulfill the commission that God has given us. And what we need to do is look at these protests as an opportunity to share real hope, not this counterfeit hope, real hope with people who have none. Now, if you go to a protest march, most of the people are going to want to hear you talk about Jesus, but that shouldn't keep us from talking about him. When these protests die down, and they will, they always do. You remember Occupy Wall Street. I think it went on for almost two years. Um, these people are going to find that that the significant change they were hoping for that would make their lives better has turned up just to be a lead balloon. There's just no, no nothing happened, nothing worked. And you see, the problem that they don't understand is that that they are the problem. We humans, our hearts, are the problem. So as long as they're out there and they're hoping in something that we know is not going to pay off, sort of like playing the lottery, we can give them real hope. Now, whether they choose to receive or not, that's between them and God. But if Acts 17 is correct, God has put us here in these last days, in these dark last days, getting darker every moment. He's put us here as a beacon of light. And it's sort of like being in the military, you know, and, and getting a, a duty assignment. When, when you get orders, you don't get to debate with somebody or reason with somebody. Well, I don't want to go here. I'd rather go here. Well, as Christians, we're in his army. And he said, minister where you are. 
And we've got all kinds of opportunities now because we're the only ones that have an enduring message of hope. Ours is the only message that will never disappoint. What we've got to do is point to Jesus. We may not win the converts, but see, that's not our job. Our job is to sow the seed. So, Scott, thank you very, very much. Thank you for the call. 340-9585. Here's a question from Jeremy. He wants to know, will false teachers go to heaven or hell? Well, Jeremy, if you would listen to the last two Bible studies I did on Friday night in Second Peter chapter 2, um, Peter's really clear. He's really clear. Deepest, darkest blackness is reserved for false teachers. He says of them, their motive is greed. And because of greed, they'll make stories up to catch people in their snare. I mean, look around at all of the, the, the stories, the stories that are in contrast to what the Bible teaches. And, and there's people lapping them up because they don't know better. So false teachers, willful false teachers. Now, there's always a distinction that needs to be made between somebody who is a deceiver and somebody who's deceived. If somebody's deceived and they fall in that trap, um, there's going to be grace. But false teachers know better. They're willful in their false teaching. And, I, I mean, if I was a false teacher, I would avoid ever opening my Bible Second Peter chapter 2. Um, one theologian said, uh, it is the worst, the most terrible chapter in all of our New Testament scriptures. So we've got to be on guard to protect ourselves against their false teaching. But yeah, false teachers, willful false teachers, are not going to make it to heaven. It's pretty straightforward. They have taken the way of Balaam, we're told. And uh, we know how his end came. God took him out. Here is another anonymous question. Is it okay for a wife to teach her husband if she knows the Bible better? Of course it is. The only thing that a woman cannot be is a pastor of a church. Um, I, I, I give you the example of Priscilla and Aquila. Um, it seems clear to me that she is the, the more gifted of the two in terms of teaching probably the more gifted in terms of being persuasive as well. And that didn't represent any kind of a threat to her husband. So, of course it is. And the fact that you're in the Word as a family, uh, husband and wife, I mean, that's that's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. So, yeah, women are not prohibited from teaching. They're prohibited from teaching with the position of authority within the church. When I first got saved, Anonymous, Paula knew more than I did. She knew more than I did. I'd never opened a Bible until I got saved. And Paula had been walking with the Lord for 13 years. Now, she wasn't a mature believer. God took her through 13 years of trials and tests while she prayed for me. But, but I had questions for her. And you know, Paul is honest enough to say, I don't know, but let's find out. And we did. We made it our mission together to find out how we were going to do this Christian walk together. We, we had no idea. But it is commendable for a wife, especially 
uh, someone who knows the Bible better, it's commendable for a wife to teach her husband. Now let me say one word to the husband. A husband should never be able to say for long, my wife knows the Bible better than me. Not for long. You're the spiritual head of the household. That means that you've got to dig in and invest in the Word so that you can be the one who, who people come to and say, well, well, I got this problem. What can we do? I told you Paula knew the Bible better than I did. That didn't last for very long. Because I dug in, and of course God had given me the gift of teaching, and I didn't really even understand that yet. But I opened the Bible, and it made sense. And I knew that, oops, got to change my life this way. I got to do this different. I knew it because I was just reading it. And so as I learned, Paul and I would sit down together and learn. I'd spend all day, and I am literally mean 8, 10, 12 hours some days, just studying. Find a library somewhere and study. I want to dig in. And I'd fill legal pads of notes. I'd go home and say, Paula, look what I learned. Or Paula, this is not true what we've been hearing. This is true. And we go through these things together. That's how we learn to walk with the Lord together. So yes, husbands, don't let your wife know the Bible better for long. Dig in. Dig in. Here is a question from Archie. He says, my question is about Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Does Jesus really mean if we don't forgive others, we won't go to heaven? Archie, God in the Sermon on the Mount, and that's what Matthew 6 is, 5, 6, and part of 7, um, Jesus is, is showing us a standard for heaven. Now, as it relates to believers, the assumption is that we will be forgivers. We who have been forgiven of much by God, how can we not forgive others? So I think what he's doing here in Matthew chapter 6 is he's identifying the unbelieving heart. If you refuse to forgive the sins of someone who sinned against you, then your Father in heaven won't forgive you. And we can't soften that. We can't make it seem a little easier than it really is. Jesus was very direct, but but here's our application as a believer, is if we're holding on unforgiveness, well, maybe that's why Paul said we need to examine our hearts every day to see if we're in the faith. And here's what I can promise you. If you're holding on to unforgiveness, it doesn't matter what somebody's done to you. And when I say holding on to unforgiveness, it doesn't mean that if you forgive them that they get away with it. It means that you're trusting God with them. And you've got to be willing to forgive. You also can't make people accept forgiveness. But you've got to be willing to give it. You can't let unforgiveness keep your prayers from being heard by God. So I think what Jesus is saying is if you are a hostage to unforgiveness, then you really ought to check deep to see if you're really a Christian. Now, we don't have to like what people do. but we got to be willing to forgive them. Honestly, Archie, I've, I've not met anyone I haven't been able to forgive. I've had some people do some terrible things and try to threaten the ministry even. Our life's work. I've had people say things, racial things, about my marriage. 
And I can honestly say that there isn't one person that I've ever met that I'm holding unforgiveness toward. Not a single person. And it's so freeing, so liberating. I know that I can pray. I know I can walk with Jesus unencumbered. And for some of you, you're not getting your prayers answered. You're not showing the fruit of the Spirit in your, in your walk. And it's because you're being eaten alive from the inside by unforgiveness. So again, this is a question in the Sermon on the Mount of Identification. If you're a believer, it is assumed in the Bible that you will be an eager forgiver of others. So if you're not an eager forgiver of others, then you really need to sit down and let the Lord deal with your heart. I hope that makes sense to you, Archie, but never ever soft sell that passage of Scripture. 340-9585. By the way, I meant to mention this at the top of the program and just forgot because I got that great email from from, uh, the anonymous listener. Um, last night's Sweet Summer Devotion, we kicked off our Sweet Summer Devotion series, and I cannot recommend it highly enough. Brielle Ballesteros um, was the speaker last night. She is a young woman, uh, graduated from our school, grew up virtually her whole life in our church, uh, has godly parents, um, has, has been raised to trust the Lord. She, she lives in a house that's learned to walk by faith, trusting God in good times and in bad times. And her life demonstrates that she was so vulnerable and so open. Moms, dads, if you've got young girls, this is a message they ought to hear. Go to calvarysa.com, go to the uh, recent studies, and then you'll see where it says Sweet Summer Devotions. Click on that. And hers is the only one in the queue right now. So um, um, please, please, please let... uh, let your daughters um, hear her heart, and uh, I promise you it'll pay off. I, I can't recommend it highly enough. I was so blessed and because I've known her so long. She's a granddaughter to me, and I, uh, I'm just thrilled for her. Thank you. Okay, let's go to another anonymous question. This one says, should a Christian marry a Catholic? Uh, no. That's a short answer, no. Uh, we should not be unequally yoked. And um, when when we're in an unequally yoked marriage, there is going to be a lot of pain. Uh, a Catholic has a whole different view of God. Um, the mediator between them and God is the Catholic Church rather than Jesus himself. And uh, it's an unequally yoked Relationship. How can two walk together unless they agree to do so? Their views on the Word of God are different. Um, um, the, the whole concept of relationship uh, is different. Um, the idea of sin and confession and forgiveness is different. So, no, Anonymous, it would be just a lot of pain. A lot of pain. And if you're pursuing a Catholic, or you are the Catholic being pursued... Um, you need to sit down and talk about these things. Um, sit down with a pastor and um, let him share with you the difficulties. I can't tell you the pain that I've dealt with over the years uh, in unequally yoked relationships. So no, a Christian should not marry a Catholic. And even if 
um, the Catholic is a real believer, born again. Um, there's still a, a significant unequal yoking in that relationship just based on um, the differences in their approach to God. Running out of time here. We've got about four minutes. Here's a question from Andy. He says, I've been watching Jack Hibbs on YouTube. Are you familiar with his ministry? And do you recommend him? Uh, I know Jack Hibbs um, uh, fairly well, Andy. Um, um, He's a Calvary Chapel pastor, of course. Uh, It's a huge, huge church in Chino Hills, uh, California. Uh, Jack has been in the news a lot because of the stand he's taken um, a sort of civil disobedience reopening uh, church. Uh, and um, and Jack was used by the Lord to sort of spearhead a movement of, of uh, pastors say, you know, this is enough. It's okay to go in this pandemic with, with to, to protest, but it's not okay to have more than so many people in church. And uh, and um, so yeah, Jack is um, uh, his ministry is solid. He is a good teacher. Uh, I do recommend him. He is really different. The 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 one caution I would give you is that he has a very very strong political bent, and I don't think that's super healthy. But uh, Jack's a good Bible teacher. He's a good guy, and uh, his church loves him. Absolutely loves him. Um, so, yeah, I would recommend him, and I am familiar with his ministry. Do I have time for one more? Okay. Here is a question from Sage. She says, will we have free will in heaven? Um, I wouldn't ca- categorize it as free will, Sage, um, but but in heaven we're only going to want to do what God wants us to do. You see, when we're in heaven, our sin nature is going to be gone. We're going to be like Jesus. And Jesus said, I always and only do what pleases my Father. I always and only do what pleases my Father. That describes what it's going to be like for you and for me in heaven, Sage. We're not going to have a streak of rebelliousness. We're not going to say, oh, I don't really want to do that. I can't believe he asked me to do that. We're only going to want what he wants. And so maybe and I hope this isn't confusing, maybe this will be the first time ever that our will truly is free. Free to be who God intended us to be. Boy, that sounds good right now, living in the world that we live in. So, it's not like we're going to be able to make a bad choice, because we won't want to make a bad choice. The only thing that will matter is being like Him learning from Him. We'll be with Him constantly. Can you imagine learning for like billions of years and then we still have billions of years forever and ever and ever. So um, I think I like the way I put that. It's the only time that we'll truly have free will. Our will will be free, unencumbered by sin and rebellion. And we'll be able to follow Jesus. Imagine the joy. Imagine the peace. Can't wait. I don't want to die. I want Jesus to come. He's coming soon. Hey, thanks for tuning in today. I appreciate it very, very much. It's a reminder, Saturday at 1030 to 1230. 
a very casual environment. Um, we're going to be here talking about the things that are going on in the world with our leadership group. You're more than welcome to come. Child care is available. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'll see you tomorrow on AM 630 The Word. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The word to stand on for life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio.